today on Ag News Daily. Don't be afraid of sustainability. Guess what? We've done it forever as pig farmers. You can call it stewardship. You can call it, call it continuous improvement, right? So sometimes people get a little bit fuzzy on the word, and don't let the, the fuzziness of the word get in the way of really what our premise is. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Wednesday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Delaney Hall joined by Ash and Carr. And Ash and I feel a little better today, but I feel like my voice still sounds a little bit uh, funky. I've got a little bit of a cold going on. Yeah, you do sound a little bit uh, weird today, but that's all right. You have been feeling under the weather, but I'm glad that you're able to join us today because you're going to be out Thursday and Friday as well for vacation. So I haven't got a whole lot of uh, time to chat with you this week. No, we are going on vacation. We're heading out tomorrow to go to Colorado for the 4th of July. So I'm pretty excited for that little getaway trip. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I'm definitely jealous. I don't have any 4th of July plans as of now. So uh, I might just be sitting at home drinking some wine, watching a movie or something. Not, you know, your typical 4th of July weekend, but I guess I'm just going to be relaxing. That's okay. Those type of weekends are good too. And you'll get a long weekend because we won't have a podcast on Monday, folks. Markets, of course, are going to be closed. We should have a podcast Thursday and Friday this week, assuming Ashton uh, gets one put together for us. Absolutely, Delaney, but kicking things off, talking about some news for today, again, kind of a slow day, didn't have a whole lot of movement. And another thing that we're not having a whole lot of movement on is word from the Biden administration about a response to pleas from dozens of lawmakers asking for an appeal of the recent federal circuit court ruling to limit line speeds for pork processing. Minnesota Congressman Jib Hagdorn and more than 70 other lawmakers sent letters last week to the acting Solicitor General and USDA Secretary Tom Vilsack requesting the court order be stopped. It was quoted that it makes no sense. The Biden administration Solicitor General doesn't seem to be appealing this decision. They're going to accept it, which is just asinine in my estimation. And then the Department of Agriculture and Secretary Vilsack is refusing to put out a regulation himself in order to clarify the issues. So I'm very disappointed. Again, there's more than 70 lawmakers that sent this letter. So honestly, a lot of pushback, which I kind of anticipated, but still we have yet to see anything. But again, the administration has until the end of August to appeal. So hopefully we do see movement. And I mean, this just, this court ruling just went into effect today. So, I mean, we still have, you know, two months for an appeal to come up, but hopefully, you know, I would hope that it comes up sooner rather than later. Absolutely, Ashton. And speaking of, uh, Washington, D.C. and legislation. Senator Amy Klobuchar of Minnesota plans to unveil new legislation for the Renewable Fuel Infrastructure Investment and Market Expansion Act with support, of course, from Senator Joni Ernst and John Thune. Originally, Klobuchar and Ernst introduced this measure back in February, and essentially what it does is authorizes about $500 million over five years here for infrastructure grants for fuel retailers, but it also directs the EPA to encourage the production and usage of E15 gasoline. So, of course, we've seen infrastructure happen as a lot of gas stations have had to add pumps that allow E15. This legislation would go a little bit further than that, $500 million over the next five years. But uh, basically, Klobuchar is 
outlined in her press release today that the EPA's current labeling requirements may deter drivers from using the E15 ethanol blend. And this new act aims to revise labeling to make it a little easier for consumers of the gas pump to understand that E10 and E15 varieties are actually more environmentally sound. Um, And again, it helps push infrastructure so that gas stations don't have to take on some of the burden of that. But um, in a recent study put out by Growth Energy, the American Farm Bureau Federation Economics reported that nationwide access to if E15 could add about $17.8 billion to the U.S. GDP. And of course, that also helps folks here in rural America because it provides a strong outlet for U.S. corn. So we'll see how this legislation rolls out here Um And I don't know the process at this point in time, to be honest with you, as far as what needs to happen. They'll unveil that, I believe, in Congress. And I assume that we'll have to see some discussion on both sides of the aisle before we see any big moves made here. But hopefully we get some movement there. Well, Delaney, I don't know if these that I'm I'm about to talk about, these bills have anything to do with what you just mentioned, because, of course, it's uh, with Klobuchar and Ernst, but also with Senator Thune. One of these funding bills was co-introduced by Klobuchar and Ernst, and it would provide one billion in grants to pay for pumps and storage tanks with higher gasoline blends of biofuels, of course, like corn ethanol. And then a second bill that is going to be introduced by Ernst and Klobuchar would provide $200 per car tax credit for automakers who make flex fuel vehicles that can run on virtually any blend of gas or ethanol. And then finally, a third bill sponsored by Klobuchar and Republican U.S. Senator John Thune of South Dakota would give fuel blenders and realtors like gas stations a tax credit for each gallon of fuel containing 15% or greater ethanol content that they sell. So it sounds like Klobuchar and the ethanol industry have a lot going on right now. Yeah, that's confusing. I assume that these bills are all somewhat interrelated because they are all dealing with the renewable fuels industry, but I don't know where what the differentiation what the differentiation is there. I'm not sure either. And, you know, you mentioned the name of of this bill that you were talking about, but I don't see anywhere in this article um, names for these bills or anything. And I believe that they are going to be introduced on Tuesday. It's a little weird, um, the wording of this article. It says that they will introduce a trio of bills on Tuesday, and this was released earlier today. So I'm assuming that that's coming up. um, I believe that would be the 6th. July 6th, this next Tuesday. So I'll keep my eyes out on this and see if we get any word after the 4th of July weekend. Fantastic, Ashton. Well, I tell you what, you're right. Today was a little bit of a slower news day, but the big news today was two reports we had come out today at 11 a.m. That was the quarterly grain stocks and the June acreage report. And uh, things are pretty bullish compared to where most analysts thought we would see things. Corn came in at a 92.7 million acres. That was lower than the average trade estimate, which was pegging corn acres to be at about a 93.8. Soybeans were significantly lower at an 87.6 million acres with the average trade guess at an 88.9. So that proved bullish for today's report. And we also saw a reduction in 
overall quarterly ending, excuse me, quarterly stocks, we saw a little bit lower on the corn stocks, a little bit lower in soybean and wheat stocks. So overall, this pushed markets higher today. And uh, really, we saw markets make up a lot of the losses that we saw just over a week ago. Um, We didn't quite finish limit up in corn and soybeans, but we did put in some fresh contract highs in the July contract, July corn contract today. So We've got a time now where we can reposition, reset, and see what markets do from here. But now that we're kind of through this market report, weather is definitely going to be a top story that markets continue to trade day in and day out. Well, Delaney, I'm all out of news for today if you're ready to see where markets ended for today after those reports. Absolutely, Ash, and I certainly am. Uh, And like I said, we did not see... uh, We didn't finish quite limit up in all markets, but we did finish limit up in a few markets, including new crop corn. July corn, however, pulled back from the limits that they touched earlier on today and did close up 25 and a half cents to close at a new contract high of 7.20. Dece corn up the limit today, 40 cents higher to end at 5.88 and a half. In soybeans today, the July contract up 90 and a quarter cent to close at 14.50 and a quarter. November new crop up 86 and a half cents to close at 13.99. And in Chicago wheat today, we saw really across the board spring wheat, and uh, hard red winter wheat all closed higher. But July Chicago contract today up 31 and three quarters cents to close at 671 and a half. The September up 33 and a quarter to close at 679 and a half. Hopping over to take a look at livestock today, we closed mixed across the board as the August contract closed 80 cents higher to close at 122.72 and a half. The actual October up 40 cents to close at 128.15. Peter cattle lower today, of course, with grain prices pushing to the upside. The August contract at 277, lower 277 today to close at 154.62 and a half. September down $2.37.5 cents to close at 157.42 and a half. Lean hogs today had some mixed trade as well with the July contract up 50 cents to close at 107.47 and a half. The August down 37 and a half cents to close at 103.25. And lastly, to wrap things up, with the class three dairy milk futures. July today down five cents to close at 16.92. The August down 19 to close at 17.03. Ashton, without further ado, who are we talking to for today's interview? Well, today we're not so much talking to someone as we are featuring one of the seminars that we got to go to at World Pork Expo. The first uh, speaker I'm going to introduce is Dr. Brett Kaysen. Dr. Kaysen is uh, our uh, Vice President for Sustainability at uh, the National Pork Board. Um, Prior to this, he was with Zoetis for about eight years and four years, three years in a in a variety of roles, but mostly around dairy and uh, and swine. And then prior to that, he was at uh, Colorado State University as a faculty member in the animal science for 13 years. Did I get that one right? 17 years. Uh, (laughs) So I'm going to turn it over to Dr. Kaysen for his presentation. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Hostetler. How's the sound? Okay. Good. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. 
we could probably do a little better. Good afternoon. All right, that's what I, hey, I'm excited to see you folks. Isn't it nice to be able to get together? I just stood out there in the hall for three hours and set up and looked like I was checking my email, but I was really looking for my friends and just people kept rolling through. So it is really good to see you. Thanks for the opportunity. I know I have 20 minutes and I've got a lot of information to share, but we're going to have fun as we go through it. Again, I'd encourage you to take notes here and and think about the questions that you may have as we get going. Bob, I'll let you be in charge of queuing up the first slide. So really what I've been challenged to do today is this. Talk to you a little bit about sustainability, why, and where the pork industry is headed. And I could talk to you about that for three days because I'm really passionate about it. And you can't help but open some publication and and see the headlines. Uh, But I'm going to give you a brief snapshot. And then a shameless plug, if you're interested in digging in a little bit deeper tomorrow, I'm going to be hosting another session for an hour in Pork Academy in the next room over. So here we go. Let's jump in. So let's get to the why. Why are we even talking about sustainability? And first of all, one of the questions I always get is, well, Brett, define it. And... I can't do that for you. For three years working for you on behalf of the checkoff, that's the most common question I get is define sustainability. And the reality is this, depending on the business that you run, own, and operate depends on how you're going to define it. And for a PhD animal scientist, Dr. Burkett, that's a linear thinker, sometimes that drives me crazy. But here's the reality. Sustainability is about how you want to define it and how you want to drive it. And what I like to use is the United Nations definition of meeting the needs of the people of today without sacrificing future generations' needs. So meeting the needs of the people of today without sacrificing future generations' needs. I think we can all rally around that, right? As we think about this audience, it's a pig farming audience. It's a pork-centric audience. And we've done that for generations. Don't be afraid of sustainability. Guess what? We've done it forever as pig farmers. You can call it stewardship. You can call it continuous improvement, right? So sometimes people get a little bit fuzzy on the word, and don't let the the fuzziness of the word get in the way of really what our premise is. Customers want to know. Consumers want to know. Critical conversations are happening. So quick snapshot, colorful slide. I want you to investigate and think about the United Nations 17 Sustainability Development Goals, UN SDGs. The United Nations has set forth these goals to achieve by 2030. This is seen as the global standard of a sustainability framework, no matter whether you're making an aluminum can or a market hog. What I want to point out to you on here is pig farmers and pork as a food plays an instrumental role in helping the UN reach their goals. Look at number two, zero hunger. Do we as pig farmers help achieve that goal? Absolutely, we do. Absolutely, we do. The global protein of choice today. And in order to create zero hunger, we play a real big role. The other role we play is several that you'll see in here, affordable clean energy, life below water, clean water and sanitation. It goes on and on and on. So what I want you to know is the global framework has already been set, and we as pig farmers are part of the solution. And so some of the work that we've been doing on your behalf with Checkoff Dollars figures out how do you plug in your production practices to those 17 UN SDGs. The data suggests that 72% of companies are using the UN Sustainability Development Goals as their North Star. That's where we're headed. The GPS coordinates have been put in. 72% of businesses agree globally. That's where we're going. We as pig farmers and pork as a food should 
work within that framework, and we have. But here's our framework for us in the room. This should not look unfamiliar to you. And I see some of you nodding your heads, right? The old professor likes that when the students nod their heads. If you're not nodding your head, there'll be a quiz later. <laughs> Dallas Hockman, who had his head in the door a moment ago, would tell you this is the equation for success for the pork industry. We're going to land on our principles. We're going to multiply those by practices. We're going to validate those with proof points, and we're going to ultimately garner public trust. We Care is over 13 years old now. Those six ethical principles, which I hope you can recite, I like to think of them as pig farmers' values, right? That's who we are. That's what we do on farm every day. But also relative to sustainability, and that being the framework for us, it's a holistic systems management approach. Because sustainability, a lot of times you'll hear is carbon, water, air, soil, somewhat true. But, Dwayne, we know it's bigger than that, don't we? It's also about animal well-being. It's also about antibiotic use, right? Those things are important, too. So it's a systems approach. That's where we're headed. We multiply those by the practices, which we improve on each and every day. I had dinner with a large group of producers. We were talking nursery diets. It was fun, Dr. Hostetler. You'd love that, right, as a nutritionist. How do we make these nursery diets compatible and adaptable with these high feed costs? We're trying to get better with our practices. You folks have done a great job of that. When I came to work for you three years ago in the equation for success, I felt we had one opening of opportunity for improvement, and that was proof points. Because We Care was founded on a demonstration and a commitment to continuous improvement, right? And we're all committed to that in our businesses. And that worked 13 years ago, but the new marketplace suggests thank you for your verbal commitment, and now what? Anybody here from Missouri? What are you going to do? Show me, right? Show me and validate that proof commitment. So that's what we're working on now. The picture on the far right-hand side of the screen is not accidental. That is your customer. So when you say, well, who do I sell my pigs to? Well, I sell it to the packer. No, you don't. Who do you sell it to? The eater. And this is your modern-day eater. They have a device in their hand. They have the next generation on their hip. And they want to know that they have permission to purchase something that's good for them and their family and good for the planet. So what do we do? You folks do this on your operations each and every day. Some of you in the room, you're all about setting goals for your operations. You're all about setting metrics, KPIs, and how do I improve? Pigs per sale per year. How many pigs did we save? What's our feed efficiency, right? You've done this forever. Now's the opportunity to take our self-improvement model we've lived by forever and ramp it up into the sustainability space. But don't separate efficiency from sustainability. This group knows this well. Dwayne, how long have we been talking about as pig farmers? We're going to put practices in place that make us money, right? Save us money or save us time, which is efficiency. Dr. Luss suggests with the webinar that was hosted by the checkoff three weeks ago that says, listen, I've done the work. In 2020, we produced 28.3 billion pounds of pork with 131 million market hogs. If we'd used 90s technology and had to revert back, it would take almost 30 million more market hogs to do that. So we're more effective, we're more efficient. How did we do it? Innovation, technology, and science. But guess what that also makes you, right, John Johnson? Efficiency equals sustainability.
Now, we got to be a little bit careful here, though. Depends on the audience we're talking to and how we're going to lead with this message. For the producer group in the room, you should be excited about this. But if I'm leading into some other folks in the supply chain, do you think I lead with this slide? No, what I lead with is we're doing more with less. And that's sustainability, right? So the proof is in the data. And I talked to you about the opportunity for data. So you'll see the slide or the states that are highlighted on this slide. I want you to be aware of, and I'm happy to talk to you about this more in depth, whether it be outside or inside or wherever you want to meet, is that the board of directors at the National Pork Board in March came together and approved a sustainability framework for U.S. pork. They took those six We Care Ethical Principles. They set a goal for each one of those principles in which we won't have time to get into today, but that's for tomorrow's Pork Academy talk. And they set a goal and a metric and a KPI to monitor, to monitor, measure, and report success. As soon as that was over, I give Dr. Crawford total credit, who's in the back of the room. She went to work working with producers in these states and said, we want to work with you and get your farm data, put it through a tool to validate continuous improvement. And so I can tell you, in less than 90 days, we took it from concept in theory to a proof of concept. We'll talk about that more here in a minute. So here's a quick snapshot for your eyes. And this is just one soundbite of many. So this is actually real farm data taken from a farm in Missouri that I had the permission to share with you. So we took some agronomic data here, and we've used in-barn data too. But for your purposes, I want you to see the agronomic data. And what this proves is, is that using certain type tillage practices, right, and in Austin, we have proven with the utilization of those technologies that we actually reduced carbon equivalents, CO2 equivalents, by 640 tons as one pig farmer in Missouri. Does that get you excited? It should. But in a consumer's mind, science into sound bites, what's 640 tons of CO2 equivalent? What does that mean, right? Kind of like Walmart. What is a gigaton? Pretty big. But what we say is, because of this pig farmer's impact, they've, that's like taking 124 cars off the road for a year. That's the same kind of energy use that a family in America would have 63 homes for a year that would power them. You see the connection? Okay. So put it in real terms. Also, if you are going to reduce that much carbon, that's like you would have to plant 681 acres of U.S. forest. Pretty impactful. Well, folks, again, we will be featuring the second half of this seminar tomorrow on Thursday. So you'll have to be sure to tune back in to catch the end of that at agnewsdaily.com. And you need to be sure to follow along on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well at Ag News Daily. And with that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.